My name is Ben Wilson, and I am the campus pastor at FBG Liberty Hill Campus. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. It has been an anticipation that has been going on for quite some time now, and I cannot rejoice enough in sharing with you uh, how appreciative I am of your prayers and your support for our Liberty Hill Campus. God is doing an amazing work out there, and I could spend hours upon hours of telling you how he's moving So catch me sometime outside of here and we'll talk about it. But thank you on behalf of the Liberty Hill campus for the way that you are loving us and supporting us as missionaries in Liberty Hill and Williamson County. Let me ask you this morning, we are wrapping up our prayer series and you've heard a lot on prayer the last few weeks. One thing that I've realized, and maybe you are, is that three weeks is just not enough when it comes to prayer. You can learn a lifetime about prayer and still never learn enough. But this morning, I want, to, I want to make us think a little deeper and deal with what does it mean to pray correctly? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to pray correctly? Maybe someone has asked you to pray before, and when they've asked you to pray, you've thought, do I, do I need to cross my hands? Do I need to, do I need to kneel before the Lord? Am I supposed to get in a, a, a laying posture? Is there a correct posture in which I'm to pray? How is it that I pray? When I pray, do I say the proper words? When I pray, do I pray the proper length? Well, this morning, I think Jesus provides a great answer for us when dealing with the idea of praying, how to pray correctly. So if you have your Bibles, if you will, open up this morning to Matthew 6. We're going to be in verses 5 through 13 this morning. Just to give you guys a little background of what's going on there, Jesus is preaching the famous Sermon on the Mount. He's instructing his disciples on how they should live as Christians and what the Christian life looks like. And he has just finished sharing with them how they are to let their light shine before men. And yet, in chapter 6, he begins to pull back and warn them about what shining too much can look like. In fact, shining... Outside of it being godliness can result in shining for the glory of man. And so he instructs his followers to be very careful when it comes to three things. He deals in chapter 6 with the idea of giving as a Christian, praying as a Christian, and fasting as a Christian. And so this morning we're going to focus on praying as a Christian and what does that look like. So if you have your word, open it up. With me and let's walk through this together. Whenever you pray, verse 5, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts." As we have also forgiven our debtors, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Jesus is just beginning his section on prayer 
by providing instruction. And he gives us a few instructions on what broken prayer looks like. He gives us a few instructions on what worrying too much about prayer can look like. And then he provides us a model prayer in which we can take as an example and provide our place in our own lives. And he begins by starting off. And when you pray, we see this continuation of what is praying what, what is praying? He's just dealt with giving. And how one is to be cautious when they're giving, not to allow others to see, but to, to give between them and God. And now he's dealing with praying. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. He begins to speak of a certain group of people who pray in one manner, but are focused on something else. You see, a hypocrite is someone who says one thing, but does the complete opposite. And so Jesus goes so far as to call these people hypocrites. Now, Jesus, what do you mean by that? How could you call somebody who's praying a hypocrite? And he gives us this picture of a people who are pretending to pray to the Lord so that they can be seen by man. You see, in the Jewish tradition, it was, it, it was very common that, that Jews would pray up to three times a day out loud. But these hypocrites, they were Pharisees. They were a people who, they wanted, to be, they wanted man to see them in their godliness. And so these Pharisees would go out in public and accidentally get caught during the hour of prayer. They would accidentally get caught. They would, they would go out and... and as the hour of prayer hit, they would get into a prayer posture on the street corners or in the synagogues, and they would begin to pray. Now think about this. If we are out this afternoon in Georgetown, Texas, and we're walking the beautiful square there, you're walking along, and all of a sudden you see a gentleman hit his knees and begin praying. What are you going to think? And this is the most godly man I've ever recognized. He doesn't care what time of the day it is. He doesn't care where he's at. He's going to stop and hit his knees. Now picture this same man as he's praying with one eye open to see if you see him praying. This is exactly what's happen, happening. This, these hypocrites are praying in such a way that they have one eye open to see if man is watching them. So all of this godliness that we can assume is taking place actually has a fault of its own. We get a picture in, in Luke 18 where Jesus kind of gives us a little more depth to what is a Pharisee, what does he look like while he's praying. And in verse 9, he says, And he also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. He says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, he could not even come into the pres presence of this man, would not even raise his eyes to the heaven. But he kept striking his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, the one, this one went down to his house justified. Rather the other, because... Every, Rather the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, Jesus is giving a picture there of two men who are praying. Just as he's talking in chapter 6 about how to pray, 
In Matthew 6, how to pray, he's given this picture of these two men who are praying. One of them goes out and prays very proudly. He's very arrogant when he prays. Yet the other, he can't even lift his brow to the Lord. He knows he is a broken sinner. He knows he's a broken man. And he knows he needs God's grace. So he can't even come near this religious man. He's praying off in a distance, asking God to, to, to forgive him. We're getting this picture because Jesus wants his people to understand what praying should look like. Praying is not something that should be approached haughty or or arrogantly, but humbly, full of humility. In fact, Jesus goes to say in Matthew 6, 5, he says, I promise you this hypocrite has received his reward. Now Jesus speaks over seven times in the first 18 verses of Matthew 6 about a reward. But he gives two definitions to the reward. The first one is a godly reward. It is one that's eternal. It's one that's been given from God. It's one that we as Christians should seek. And then there's another reward. And that reward is the reward from man. You see, this this Pharisee, as he's praying, he's seeking this reward from man. It's a temporary reward. It's one that does not solely satisfy. That's why he's constantly seeking it. That's why he's constantly making himself lay down in in a prayer posture in public in order to be seen. But Jesus gives instruction to that for the believers. As he is warning his disciples of how they should approach, the, approach God and prayer, he says this, but, verse 6, but when you pray, go into your private room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. He's telling them, get away to the most private place that you know. Get away as if you're, you're going into your closet. Not only are you going into your closet, but you're shutting your door. Why? Because that's the place where no one can hear you. Now, is Jesus telling us that the only way that we can pray is by going into a closet? No, what Jesus is saying is, is that we must be a people who are willing to get alone with God and to pray to God without any worry of anyone else seeing us. Let me ask you, when you pray... Do you often worry about what other people are thinking as you're praying? I know early on as as a young Christian, I was concerned with what does this man think while I'm in this circle of men? What does this man think if I say this certain word? Or or I'd hear somebody pray so elegantly and I think I have to pray the same way. The reality is, is Jesus saying, hey, get away, draw yourself back as if it's just you and God. While you are in the presence of others, Don't focus on others. Allow yourself to be alone with the Lord. You know, the Pharisees, they were not worried about getting away, uh, getting alone with the Lord. In fact, I would almost go so far as to say that their prayer time, for the most part, consisted of praying in front of others in order that others would see them, in order that people would think that they were religious men. Sure, they would have times of prayer, but the heart was never in it. They They were in it in order to be seen. Now he continues on in verse 7. He says, but he says, when you pray, do not babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. So he brings another group into the mix. We've dealt with the hypocrites, and now, now we're dealing with the Gentiles. You say, okay, well, aren't we Gentiles? 
We're not Jewish, we're Gentiles. What he's dealing with here are pagan worshipers. He's dealing with people who are worshiping other gods. And these people, they believed deep down that through their prayers, the longer they prayed, the more they prayed, the more they called upon their God's name, that they would somehow convince their God to answer. Do you remember in 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah is at a standoff with the prophets of Baal? He's sitting there and, and he's telling them, hey, call down on your God. Call down on your God to, to answer, answer and take this offering. They placed this bull and they began praying. They pray from morning till noon and nothing happens. And he actually mocks them. He says, pray more, pray louder. Maybe he's not hearing you. Maybe he's off alone by himself. Maybe you need to pray louder. And so what do they do? They pray louder and, and, and they pray longer and nothing happens. You see, these men thought somehow that they were going to convince God to answer their prayers. And what the Lord is saying is be cautious of that. Because when you pray, you can often pray in such a way that you're going to somehow get God to answer your prayer. The reality is, verse 8 says, don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. You see, when you pray, don't pray these words lifting up empty phrases to Him. Don't pray acting as if you're somehow going to convince him to answer your prayer. Don't pray as if you somehow think that if you call on him long enough, he'll finally hear you. The reality is, is God hears any prayer that's lifted up to him. God answers any prayer according to the needs of his people, which should give us assurance that when we pray, we need not worry about how elegant our words are. We need not worry about if we're praying long enough or loud enough what this should draw us into seeing is, is that when we pray, we are praying out of an act of worship to God. God already knows. He is all-knowing. He already knows our needs before we've lifted them up. So therefore, we are just praying, worshiping Him, recognizing the truth in that He knows all things and that we are reliant and dependent on Him and Him alone. Isn't that such a relief? I know it is for me when I step back and I look and see that my God knows everything I need before I've even lifted it up to him. You know, there have been times that I have prayed and I go through praying and either I've drifted off to sleep or, or I've prayed and I've gotten kind of distracted in the midst of praying. And a little bit while later I'll go, Lord, I forgot to tell you this. I, I need this too. I need you to answer this too. And the reality is, God already knows what I needed that answer to. So as I'm sitting here worried because I've fallen off to sleep or I've gotten distracted, I can rest assured that God knew what I needed. The question is, was the heart worshiping God as I was praying to him? What a relief it is to know that God knows my every single need. If we are Christians, Jesus is telling us, rest assured, that before the creation of the world, the Lord knew what you were going to be lifting up to him. You know, Jesus could have stopped right there. He could have stopped and he could have, have just left it at that and kind of left his people wondering, what happens now, Lord? So I'm not supposed to pray like this. He gives us two broken forms of prayer. I'm not supposed to pray like this. But the Lord, being so compassionate, being so kind, never leaves his people just wondering what next. 
He continues on. He gives us what is known as the model prayer. Some people may, some of your translations may interpret this as the Lord's Prayer. And we have taught our children this from the time they were, they were little. And you've probably taught your children this from the time they were little. And you've grown up and you've recited this prayer through Sunday schools, and through church, and at the table, and anywhere else you can go. It becomes such a prayer that we memorize that we can often overlook the glory that waits aside inside of it. But the Lord gives us what is known as the model prayer. How exciting is that to know that He has given us a model, an outline of how we can pray. So the Lord instructs us in verse 9, He says, Therefore you should pray like this. He knows His disciples are going to pray. And He knows they could become consumed in the two broken models that that, that He's already brought forth. So He says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. You've heard probably a million sermons on this right here. But isn't it amazing that God has opened the door for us to see that we get to approach Him as Father. While many kings desire to be approached as King, Your Majesty, Master, Ruler, Jesus Christ says, you get the same privilege that I have, and that's approaching Him as Father. This is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, telling us we get to approach Him, God, the Father, as Father. What joy shall fill our hearts. When I was 13, the Lord brought a man into my life, my stepfather. And he was every picture of what a godly man is or has become. And I remember our relationship being so strained early on. And there was so, so, much, so many times where as a, as a young teenager and as a young man, I would, I would be so confused about how do I approach this man? He's been more of a father than, to me than anyone ever has been. And the day I got married, which was 13 years ago today, the day I got married, I remember telling him, It would be an honor if I got the joy of calling you my father. From that time, our relationship changed and it has grown in depth and he is such a godly man and he points the men in our family to be even more godly. And I think about that moment, how good that felt. And let me tell you, it's not even a glimpse of the joy that runs through my veins when I know that my father in heaven, the father of all creation, The Father of all fathers, the King of all kings has allowed me to approach Him as Father. What a joy that is. What a joy that is. Our Father who is in heaven. Here's your place, Lord. You're above all creation. There is not one piece of creation that compares to you because you have created it all. There's no way of comparing you to anything else because you are the creator of all. You are in heaven. Your name be hallowed. Your your name is honored as holy. You see, while we get to approach Him as Father, we also have to recognize that His name, God, describes who He is. He is above all. And because of that, when we approach Him, we get to approach Him relationally, but also knowing His reverence. Knowing the reverence that He deserves. How exciting is that to know that there is no one who can, who can come to the Father without recognizing His holiness. 
and who he is. But he continues on, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. Now all of a sudden we see this alignment, we see throughout the gospels Jesus talking about the kingdom of God and the glorification of God through the advancement of the kingdom. And we, his people, we make up this kingdom. And the Lord is inviting us to align ourselves with the will of the Father. As Christians, we're called to pray, asking God to lead our lives. We're called to ask God to guide us. We're called to ask God's kingdom to come. You know, this isn't as good as it gets. This isn't the, the way that it all ends here. This is only the tip of the iceberg. Our relationship with the Lord prepares us for the day that we're in glory with Him and we get to witness His kingdom actually coming And our hearts are aligning with him, asking him, your will be done in our lives. Your will be done on this earth, where as it is in heaven. It's so exciting to be able to ask God's will in our lives, but it's scary too. Because if you're like me, you've already laid your plans out for life. You've already got every plan in store. You've already got what the next move is going to be, what tomorrow is going to be like. You've planned out the next 15 years of your life. And then God comes in and totally just wrecks it. Right? He comes in and he says, okay, now I'm going to show you what my plans are. It's, it, it's one of those things that the more we align ourselves with the Father, the more that we align ourselves with the will of God, the more that we honor him as holy, we're going to desire to be more like what he created us to be. And we're going to begin to pray that his will be done in our lives. And sometimes that's the hardest thing because praying that his will be done in our lives means that our will must be moved aside. You see, in Luke 22, even Jesus asked God to remove the cup from him. He asked God to remove the cup, but only if it was his will. Now we know later that the wrath was poured out upon him. The cup was poured out. But Jesus aligned himself with the Father in order to see his will done, his kingdom come. One of my favorite texts comes from Acts 4. In Acts 4, you've got John and Peter who have just been arrested and and threatened and told, do not preach this gospel anymore, and they immediately go back to their people. And it's so exciting because they go back to their people and they tell them exactly what's happened. And you think, what what are they going to do? Are they going to pray that that God will remove the enemy from them? Are they going to pray that God will remove them from this situation? And no, what do they pray for? They pray that God will make them bold and preach the gospel even more. They don't ask God to remove the situation. They ask God to align their, them, their hearts with the situation. And what happens? The ground is shaken and the gospel is proclaimed even more so. And because of prayers like that, you and I sit here today with the joy of sitting here and walking as part of God's kingdom. Continues on, give us this daily bread. He shifts it, shifts the, the prayer. Give us this daily bread. Give, recognizing God, you are the author of all things. You're the one who provides all things. God, we need you. We need you to give us our daily nourishment. We need you to fulfill the daily needs. He reminds him of, of daily needs. We're not approaching him weekly or monthly. We're approaching him daily, being reminded of what has been set aside for that day is provided by God himself. And Lord, we need that for our physical and spiritual nourishment. 
What an invitation we have to plead to the Lord. We wonder about where the next check is going to come from, or we worry about where the next meal is going to come from, or we worry about what is tomorrow going to look like. And the reality is, is he's saying, hey, don't worry about that. Invite God to come and take care of that. God, give us this bread. Give us our nourishment. Forgive us for our debts as we have forgiven debtors. You know, among the daily nourishment, we're reminded that sin is very real. And sin requires a debt to be paid. And God is the one who forgives that debt. And when we approach Him in prayer, as we look at this model, we're given an example of seeing that we can approach God seeking forgiveness daily. You know, one of the marks of a healthy prayer life is one who is willing to put himself out before the Lord transparently. Say, Lord, here is my every need. Here is everything I've done. God, I need you. See, prayer is not to be something that is an obligation in our lives. We're, we think at times we're Christians and therefore we have to pray. The reality is, is when we look at the model prayer, Jesus has invited us to pray. What a joy that is that we don't have to go through anyone else but straight to the Father. Jesus didn't say you have to go and pray through this person or pray through that person. He says you get to call him Father. Here's a prime example. And so as we see these broken elements, as we see these broken moments of prayer, we ask ourselves, how do we pray correctly? Well, we've seen it's not through how, how we pray from a standpoint of, of babbling off a bunch of, a bunch of words, it's not through praying as if worried about someone else seeing us. It's praying with a heart that is laid out, transparent before God himself. You see, God's not as concerned about the form. Some of us like to cross our hands when we pray. Some of us like to bow before the Lord before we pray. Some people like to lay on the ground before the Lord before they pray. Some people like to pray out loud. Others like to pray silently. God is more concerned with the heart that approaches Him. And when we focus on a heart that is transparent before God, the rest of prayer will take care of itself. The form, the posture, secondary things that we worry about. I believe that as we move forward although we're finishing up a prayer series this morning this is only the beginning and my question to you is what has your heart been like when you approach the Lord do you feel like you've been approaching him just because it's something you have to do as a Christian or have you been approaching him because it's something that you've been gifted with you see God spoke Jesus spoke of the rewards and the greatest reward is being in relationship with Jesus Christ the greatest reward is salvation by God, provided by only Him. The greatest reward is knowing that He knows our every need before we even express it to Him. The question is, will we pray with hearts that live expectantly? A little over a year and a half ago, Melissa and I began to pray very expectantly. We knew God was taking us through a transition. We knew that we were fixing to be moving. We didn't know what that looked like. God called us to put our house on the market. We had nowhere we were going. We had no, no job lined up. We were still exactly where we were and at peace about it. Put the house on the market. 24 hours later, it sells. 
What I didn't tell you was we lived across the street from my parents. Mom and dad pulled up one day. House is under contract. They have no clue what we're doing. They began to worry a little bit. All the while, we're praying expectantly, God, move us. You're fixing to take us on the ride of our life. We moved down here to pastor a church, for me to pastor a church, tell the church family, we are going to be a people who pray and live expectantly. Little did I know, little did I know that praying and living expectantly meant that we were fixing to become FBG, Liberty Hill Campus. January 2017 arrives. We've got pastors praying. We've got church family praying. We launch FBG, Liberty Hill Campus. You think that's anything that man could have done? You think that's any posture of prayer that man could have entered into? No, that was praying expectantly with transparent hearts, expecting to see our Lord move. Let me tell you, family, this is only the beginning. God has great plans for our church, and my prayer for us during this is that we will be a people who will pray, and that our prayers will be like wildfire, that our, our, our city, our cities now, our county, our state, our nation, our world will be impacted by the prayers of FBG, First Baptist Georgetown. That is my prayer. My prayer is that we will be a people who don't look at prayer as something burdensome, but we cannot wait for the next time that we get to enter into prayer. I pray that we are raising up disciples, sending out disciples, and it's all magnified through the prayers that we lift up to our Father. The question is this morning, how are we going to approach our prayer lives? We're going to look at it as an invite from the Lord because that's exactly what it is. May we be a people who are not known to man for praying, but known to our Lord for depending on Him and seeing His glory shine through this church.